Father in heaven, we're longing for something more this morning. Oh God, you know how unworthy we are. You know how unworthy I am, Father. You know that I'm clinging to the promise that your grace is sufficient for me. Thank you that your grace is sufficient for each one of us, wherever we may be at this morning, whatever we may have been going through. I believe that your Spirit has a word for us this morning. So we're here asking that you would speak to us. Our ear is longing to be open, that we can hear the voice of Jesus teaching us how to have a closer, more intimate walk with you, Jesus. Lord, please speak. We open our hearts to you now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Who would have imagined that things could have gone that wrong? I mean, he had been promised so much. There were big dreams, big promises, so much that the hopes and dreams of an entire nation rested on his shoulders. And for a while it appeared like it was obvious that that these dreams were coming true. People everywhere were singing his praises. But then jealousy came in. And people began to look at him a little bit differently. And before long, he was running as a fugitive. This one who was supposed to be the future leader of Israel, this one who was the one who was going to become king, was chased. Chased by a jealous king. You know the story of King Saul and King David. King David had been anointed, had taken as a shepherd boy, told that you're going to be the next king of Israel. But it was kind of a secret thing. But Saul began to become jealous of him. We pick up the story in 1 Samuel. The 1 Samuel chapter 23 is where we're going to be looking a lot today. But we're going to talk a little bit about the story leading up to that first. David was the one who they chanted in the streets. David is slain his thousands, Saul is slain his thousands, and David is slain his tens of thousands. He was the one who'd gone out bravely against Goliath. If anybody had a close walk with Jesus, it must have been David, right? He was the one who said, I defy you, Goliath, by the God of heaven, that I am going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. And he said, I'm going to do that for the whole Philistine army. He was the one who Saul had sent him out in battle after battle and he'd come back successful each and every time. But then that jealousy turned in Saul's heart. And Saul began to attack David. And as David begins to run, he he runs to uh, the temple, to the, the tabernacle. And rather than relying on God like he had before, he runs and he's looking for bread, he's looking for a sword. He gets that from the priest and then he runs from there to the very enemies that he had previously defeated, the Philistines. And as he runs to the Philistines, they point him out and they begin to tell the king, look, this is David, the one who they chanted in the streets, he's slain his tens of thousands, the one that slayed our tens of thousands. What are we doing letting him come here to Philistia? 
So the king calls him in before him. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, in verse 12, it says, Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them. Now remember, this is David, the, the special son of promise who's going to become the future king. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let saliva fall down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Here is David. He's acting like a madman. He's scratching at the gates. There's saliva running down his beard. This is David, that shepherd who was faithful, who trusted in God. What has happened to David? Have you ever had a week like that where everything goes wrong, where you feel like the world is crashing in around you? Well, it just keeps getting worse for David. So we read, at least some people come out to him in verse 1 of chapter 22, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Abdullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him and look at who comes to David. See if this gets you excited about the potential for David to become the king. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. Sounds like a great army, doesn't it? He's got those who are in debt. Those who are discontented, he's got all of the losers of society now who are at least hiding with him in his cave. If you're David, do you think at this point you're beginning to wonder, God, why? What are you doing? I thought I was going to be the next king, and now I'm hiding in a cave and I have a a bunch of crazy people around me. What is going on, God? Why is this happening? It gets worse. You read the rest of chapter 22. Saul is jealous. He's trying to find out where did David go? Who's, what's happening with David? And Doeg the Edomite tells about how David had gone to the, taber- the, the tabernacle and all that had happened there. And so Saul gets upset and tells his men to call for the priest. And the priests come, all 85 of them, the priests come to see King Saul. And as they're there, King Saul gets so upset, feeling that they have betrayed him and that they have been supporting David, even though they had no clue what they were doing when they gave him bread and the sword, that he orders his men to put all 85 priests to death. And then they won't do it, so he tells Doag the Edomite to do it, and he puts all 85 to death. And we pick up the story in the end of chapter 22 where One of these priests escaped. In verse 20, Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. Things just keep getting worse for David. This man of God, this one who had seen God work mighty miracles, things just keep getting worse. So David said to Abiathar, verse 22, I knew that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. 
Can you imagine the weight on David's shoulders at this point? He says, this is my fault. These 85 men of God, these priests, they all were put to death because of me. Not only am I a fugitive being chased by my own people, but I'm responsible for this massive slaughter of God's men. How heartbreaking would that be? Imagine the guilt. Imagine the weight that's pressing down on him. So David again is looking for a place to hide, looking for something that he could possibly do. And David finds out about the Philistines attacking the city of Keilah. And he goes and he inquires of God saying, God, should we go and should we help the people in Keilah? Is there, is there something that we should do? And God says, yes, go and help the people of Keilah. So he goes and he defeats with his men. They defeat the Philistines. They drive them away. And then they're there in the city of Keilah. And now at least they have friends in this city, right? Now they're in a place that's safe. They have their own city. Now he can finally begin to establish his kingdom around him. Well, Saul begins to send his forces to Keilah, saying David's locked himself up in the city. At this point, we can finally get him. We've got him trapped. He's locked himself in a city, and we're finally going to get him. So David inquires of God and says, God, and he does it through Abiathar, who had the, the linen ephod from the tabernacle. He said, God, is Saul going to come up? He says, yes, Saul's going to come up. He said, okay, well, will the people of Keilah deliver me over to Saul? The answer from God is, yes, they're going to betray you. Great, now David knows that he is in a city where he can't, feel safe here. The people are going to betray him. Even though he went to all the work of saving this city from the Philistines, he knows now that they are ready to betray him. Things just aren't looking so good for David. Maybe you've had a day like this. Maybe you've had a month like this. Maybe you've had a year like this. Maybe you feel like time after time in your life, there's so many things going on, like you don't know what God is up to. God has given you so many promises, but why isn't there more fulfillment of these things in your life? What is missing? That had to be what was rolling through David's mind as he ran from the city of Keilah and he now goes into the wilderness of Ziph. And in the wilderness of Ziph, he's hiding in this vast desolate wilderness where commentators said it was hard to even find food in this area. But he figured at least he could hide there. At least he was safe so far away from anybody that could possibly touch him at this point. He's there in the wilderness. He's in the forest of Ziph. And you have to imagine he is disheartened. David has to be feeling depressed at this point in time. He has to be wondering Where God is. Where do you turn to when you feel like you have no place to turn to? When you feel like the world's crashing down around you, when things just aren't going the way that you imagined that they would go, where do you turn? Where does David turn? What happens for David is so beautiful. We pick up the story reading on. um, We've looked in 1 Samuel 23 about Verses 1 to 13 are about the city of Keilah. And then 
how he is there in the wilderness strongholds in the second part of the chapter. And then we know that Saul is sending out his forces after David. But then something happens in the midst of this. In verse 14, we pick up the story of him being there. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Jonathan, the king's own son, the one who was headed to put David to death, the one who had become best friends with David, says, I've got to do something. My friend David, he's going through a lot right now. He's being chased by my own father to be put to death. He's run to the Philistines. He's gone through all of this. I see that he needs help. And friends, sometimes we may feel like I've got it all together. I can handle my life. I don't need anybody else's help. But David needed somebody's help. And David was a man after God's own heart. David was going to be king of Israel. David, if anybody shouldn't need help, maybe it would be David. But David needed Jonathan's help at this point. And David is strengthened, it says. So, so first of all, we see here that, that Jonathan goes to David. Now, we see that David needed his help, that David, even though he was this great man, he needed the help of Jonathan. And you notice how it says that Jonathan arose and went to David in the woods. It wasn't like he just walked next door to go talk to David, but he had to find a way. He's the crown prince, but he has to find a way to sneak to this wilderness and to get once he gets there, to find David who's in hiding from his dad in order to encourage David. So the first thing to note from this verse is that everyone needs encouragement, no matter how close we might feel like we are to God. The second thing to note is that in order to encourage somebody, it takes action. It takes going the distance for somebody. It takes being willing to put ourselves out there in order to actually be able to to encourage somebody. And then it says that he strengthened his hand. But notice, he doesn't just show up to David and say, look, everything happens for a reason and I'm here for you, buddy. He doesn't just show up to David and say, look, here, let me process this for you. Let me sit down with you and listen to you and talk to you about how to handle this situation. Now, all of those things can be valuable when you have a friend who's going through something. When you have a, a coworker who's under the weather and you need to encourage them. All of those things can be valuable. But notice what Jonathan does. It says that Jonathan strengthened his hand in what? In God. Jonathan wanted for David to grab a hold of God. Jonathan knew that nothing that he could do could really help him. And I can't tell you how often I realize that. How helpless I am as a pastor. That may be disappointing to you. You may feel, you know that I don't have all the answers. <laughs> but there are so many times when all I know is to point people to Jesus. That's the thing that I have to offer to somebody. 
And that's not exclusive to me because you have a relationship with God and you can offer that to the people around you. No matter where you're at in your spiritual walk, you have that opportunity to encourage the people around you, to point them to God, to encourage them in God, to strengthen their hand in God. Now notice how Jonathan does this for David. Verse 17, and he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You will be the next king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. Here he is. He's in the woods of Ziph in the wilderness. He's, he's been a madman with saliva running down his beard. He looks like anything but a king at this point. But Jonathan had to have known about that secret anointing that Samuel had done. They were best friends, and if anybody would have known, it was Jonathan. Jonathan knew the promise of God to David was, you're going to be king. And so when Jonathan shows up, he doesn't say, hey, I'm here to help you, or let's do this, or let's do that. He says, God will fulfill his promise to you. He strengthened his hand in God and said, you will be the next king of Israel. The promises of God will be fulfilled in your life. It doesn't look like it right now. The future looks black to you, but God will show up for you. It's the same for you and me. When we go to encourage somebody or when somebody comes to encourage us, the very best possible thing is for us to be encouraged in the promises of God. For our hand to be strengthened in God. To be reminded of who God is. That He is the King of kings. That Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. That He sits on the throne of the universe. He is the supreme ruler of all of the universe. He has all power in heaven and on earth. And He loves you infinitely. And if we can grab a hold of His promises in our life, And when somebody's struggling, we can point them to the promises of God and say, this will be fulfilled in your life. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know my God and that He is faithful. That will make all the difference in the life of the one you're trying to encourage. And that will make all the difference in your own life. To have somebody there who can encourage you when you're feeling down, when you feel like you can't go on, when you don't feel like you have what it takes. I love what it says in Manuscript Releases, Volume 11, 261. It says, If brethren would meet together once or twice a week and with humble minds, feeling their weakness and realizing their defects, would then ask the Lord to enlighten their understanding. So if we would get together humbly and meekly and ask God to enlighten our understanding and fill their hearts with His love, examining not one another, but the Scriptures, Satan would be defeated. The enemy is going about like a roaring lion. Revelation 12 and verse 12 says that he has come down to this earth and that he is exceedingly wroth because he knows that his time is short. It says that he is enraged against the people of God in the last days. He doesn't like you. And he wants to make your life miserable. There is an enemy on your track. You may not have a king who's hunting you down, but there is an enemy who's seeking to devour you. 
But there is courage. There is hope when we come together as brothers and sisters. And we encourage each other in the Lord. We point each other to Scripture. We grab a hold of the promises of God. And when one of us is feeling down, that we can say, hey, here's a promise for you. Grab a hold of this. And we give them that promise. We pray for them. And we remind them that they serve the King of Kings and that He will give them the victory. Many imaginary difficulties, mere molehills that have been magnified into mountains and have been made barriers between brethren would vanish and love and compassion and respect would take the place of jangling and accusation. What a beautiful thing it is when we can meet together as brothers and sisters. We can encourage each other. We can weekly get together and encourage each other in the Lord. Jonathan, strengthen David's hand in the Lord. Now they believe that Psalm chapter 11 was the psalm that, that David sang after this occurrence. So keep your finger here, but go back to Psalm chapter 11, just a couple books over. In Psalm chapter 11, we read what David writes, how he's feeling at this point, and how this strengthening in the Lord helped him. Verse 1 says, In the Lord I put my trust. David's reminding, after all of this running and trying to save his own skin, running to the Philistines, running to the city of Keilah, trying to hide in the wilderness, trying to act insane in order to save his skin from the Philistines, all of these different things, he's reminded that his trust has to be in God and God alone. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, The wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. He says, I feel like a little bird. There's enemies who are constantly after me. They're constantly trying to shoot me down. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What hope is there for the righteous if if everything is taken from beneath their feet? What hope is there for the righteous? He goes on to answer, verse 4. Maybe this was the encouragement that Jonathan also had brought to him. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the Son of Men. God is on his throne. He's in his holy temple and he sees you. He loves you. He knows everything that you're going through in your life. And he cares about it infinitely. And David says, I trust in my God. I can trust in Him. I know that He cares. I know that He has the power. I know that He has the authority. But David might not have gotten to that place if it wasn't for Jonathan coming and strengthening him in the Lord. And going back, we see what a difference that this makes because suddenly there's a radical shift in the way that David is acting. He's still running from Saul. He's in the wilderness again, but in Chapter 24, we find this amazing story where Saul is going to attack David and he's hunting for him in the wilderness. And David's going around one side of the mountain. Saul's going around the other side. Then eventually, David is in a cave and he and all of his men are hiding back in the recesses of this cave. And here comes Saul into this cave. Now, I believe that if just a few chapters before this had happened where Saul had come to this cave and had placed himself vulnerably there with David, David probably would have put him to death on the spot. 
But at this point, David's trust is renewed in the Lord. He's trusting in God because his hand had been strengthened by Jonathan. And so instead of putting him to death, he tells his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to the Lord's anointed. And he cuts off a piece of his robe and he feels very bad about that. But when Saul leaves, he holds up that robe and he stands out bravely and saying, look, Saul, I spared your life. And from there, Saul turns away. And David does this a couple different times. He sneaks into the camp once and he takes Saul's spear and Saul's jug of water and takes it away and then yells from another hill saying, Saul, I've got your stuff over here. And Saul again sees that David is being merciful to him. David shows valiancy. He shows his heroicness is coming back because he's renewing his faith, his trust in God. And I believe that was because David was strengthened in the Lord through Jonathan. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that this is a vital concept for you and me. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10 where we find that in the last days, we're especially going to need to keep this principle in our hearts. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, having boldness to come close into the very presence of the holiest, into the very presence of God by a new and living way, which... He consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true, a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's draw close to God, the Apostle Paul is writing here. He says, let's come in close fellowship with God. Then verse 23 tells us a little bit more about how that can take place. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Grab a hold of that hope. Don't waver in your hope in what God has promised for your life and who He has promised that you will become in His strength. Grab a hold of that hope and do not waver. Now that sounds good, Paul, but sometimes I don't feel like I have hope to go on. Sometimes I don't feel like I have what it takes. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to waver. So how do I continue on? How do I hold fast of this hope? He says, for he who has promised is faithful. The promises of God, again, are the foundation that we rely upon, knowing that God will fulfill his word in our life. This is what leads us to a closer walk with Jesus. But how do I keep from wavering? How do I remember that His promises are faithful? How can I keep my mind fixed on that? Verse 24, and let us consider one another. Look around you. Look at the people here in church. Paul says, consider one another. Think about the people who are there with you in this Christian journey. Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Look out for the people who sit next to you in the pew. Look out for that person who hasn't been to church for a little while. Look out for the people who are around you. Consider 
one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's how that not wavering takes place as we stir each other up. And how do we stir each other up? Verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Coming together is a vital part of our Christian walk, Paul says. He says, you want to make sure that you don't forsake this gathering together as brothers and sisters in order to encourage each other, in order to exhort each other, in order to lead each other to a firmer faith in the promises of God. Don't forsake that. He says some of the others who he's writing to, the manner of some of them is to forsake the gathering together. They feel like they can do it on their own, that they're okay, that they have what it takes in their own strength. But Paul says, don't be like them. Don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves. You need this Christian fellowship. You need to come together to encourage each other. This is a vital part of your Christian walk. Why? But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now it's interesting, the language he's using here is very clearly tied into the second coming. When he says that the day is approaching, you see how it's capitalized in some of your Bibles there. Day is referring so frequently to the second coming. And further in the passage, it's clear he's talking about the the second coming. But also when he says the assembling of ourselves together, the word used there for assembling in the Greek is used only one other place in the entire New Testament, and that is in 2 Thessalonians. When it's talking about how God is going to assemble us all together on that day when He comes back. Paul's really saying, here's a little foretaste of that moment when Jesus comes back and He gathers you up into the clouds and He assembles you together. You can have that yourself when you assemble together as brothers and sisters and you encourage each other. You exhort each other. You remind each other of the promises of God. You strengthen each other's hand. You remind each other that Jesus is on the throne, that He has the strength, that The priorities in your life have to be to put His kingdom first. You watch out for each other when you see a brother going down a path that's hurting them. When you see that family member who's walking away from Jesus and you're there to intercede for them. You're there to lift them up. We need each other. We need to come together in Christian fellowship. I'm going to invite Leah to come up and share a little bit of her personal experience with that. This is something I've been really passionate about because I've seen the blessing in my life. When I was converted just a junior in high school, I had two teachers that said, hey, I think we should have a group that gets together every Friday night and we could share about the different things we've been learning. And I was brand new to this. I had just started reading the Bible for myself, but they kind of put themselves in the same spot as if it was new for them too, even though they had been followers of Jesus for a long, long time. And every Friday night we'd get together and they'd ask, so what have you been learning in your worship? And tell us about answers to prayer. And we'd all share. And 
it was such an encouraging time for me. I saw, you know, as a new believer, basically, what it could be like to have that fellowship where we were encouraging each other, we were praying for each other. Here, these teachers were 50, 60 years old, and I was like 16, but we had such a connection. I would come to school, and rather than just going in and sitting down in my class, I would often run into one of the teacher's office and say, hey, you wouldn't believe it, I just had an answer to prayer, something that I had shared about in the Friday group, and we just had this really awesome connection. The next year, I was a senior. I was in band one day, and this little girl came up. She was in sixth grade, and she said, I have a question for you. And I said, yes. And she said, "Um, well, there's like a group of girls in my class, and we were wondering if you could like do a Bible study for us. And I was thinking, me? What would I do for a Bible study? I realized they were much younger than I was, but I didn't really have anything to offer. And so I agreed. I said yes. And, you know, looking back 12 years later, I have some amazing connections with these little girls because we met together every Wednesday night. One of them, we'd go to their house. Their mom was so gracious. She would let us, you know, stay in the living room. She'd go off in her bedroom and shut the door. And I could barely play the guitar, but I would sing songs with them. We would study something from the Bible together, some story. We'd pray And it seemed like very little at the time. It didn't seem like it was making such a big difference. But do you know through the years, God has allowed that connection so that anytime some of those girls need prayer, they'll text me, they'll call me. We were just in Florida, I guess it was last year. One of them lives there now. She's graduated college. She's a nurse. And her mom had just let me know that, you know, she's really struggling right now. And I know you're there in town and just wondered if you could stop by. And when I stopped to see her, it was honestly like we had just picked up from that experience so long ago. So I've been blessed so much. You know, when we were at Andrews just a few years ago, I keep thinking it was recent. It was like five years ago by now. But when we were there, we worked in the youth department for Sabbath school. And Zach and I would each teach a class each Sabbath, and then we'd go to church there at Pioneer. And the youth pastor asked us one day if we'd be willing to have a group of girls who were interested in studying Steps to Christ over at our house every Sabbath afternoon. And so we agreed. There had been a youth pastor that had been doing it with them before, but he was graduating and moving. And so every Sabbath, we only had our little civic, but we would pile girls in there to drive from the church to our little apartment that was on campus. We'd fix some lunch every Sabbath, and then we would just study. And we would just read that book together. You know, Steps to Christ is one of the most powerful, practical books if you want to know Jesus better. And with these high school age girls, it was like the roles were turned around now. We would just study those chapters. We would talk about what it means to know Jesus. We would talk about what it means to study the Bible. We'd talk about how to pray and how to see answers and how to not doubt and just the really basic things. And God so blessed that time. The connection we had with those girls was so sweet. As different ones wanted to be baptized, it was the first thing they would be like, Pastor Zach, can you baptize us? Because they had just grown to have that connection as we met and studied together. Then a couple years later, as we moved to Modesto, we wanted to launch small groups in our church there, similar to what we're doing here. Pastor Brian, who was our head pastor there was really passionate about that. And as we decided how we were going to do it, all the different elders took a group. They were each going to lead. But the pastor asked if among the pastoral staff, we would kind of split ourselves up so that we could each be part of a group. And so the group that I got assigned to happened to be Mondays at three o'clock, which happened to be all the retirees and most of them over 80. 
And so I was in a small group with about 10 or 12 people over the age of 80. We might have had a few that were in their 60s or 70s and me. And you kind of look into that thinking like, oh dear, this is just not my, you know, crowd of people. I don't know. But I was so blessed by that group. I would go every week, Mondays at 3 o'clock, we'd join together. And just to hear as they would talk, as they would pray, as we'd share together, as, you know, we'd fellowship, it was so sweet. We had one group in particular that women's ministries had actually set up, and it was just drawn randomly who was going to be part of your small group. Groups of four. When our groups were chosen, there was one lady that was almost 90, one that was in her 80s, one in her 60s, and me. And it was our job to meet together throughout. It was for three months that we met. And just to get to know each other better. That was the simple goal. Get to know each other better. Encourage each other. Pray for each other. And do you know as we met, we formed such a bond. The lady that was in her 90s and I are still friends. I think she's so cute. She has an iPhone and she texts. But she will text me the most encouraging things. And I know that I would never have had that friendship or relationship with her outside of the small groups. So Paul has told us, I'm telling you from my own experience, God has something special as we get together. And I know many of you have encouraged that. You're part of a Bible study that meets on Fridays or Thursdays or Mondays. But as we launch into these life groups for the next eight weeks, this is our prayer. This is our goal that as we come together, as we study together, as we pray together, as we encourage each other, that that growth and connections can really happen. Some of you might be thinking, that's great for people that enjoy that kind of thing. And Lee is kind of a natural at this kind of thing. I feel like she enjoys naturally a group getting together. She's a very, um, I think, extroverted person. She may not feel that way. I'm different. (laughs) I remember the first time that we were doing ministry together, and we headed up to Grass Valley to to, um, Pine Hills Academy. And she asked me to lead a small group. She was leading out this week of prayer, and I was there leading this small group, and it was the most awkward thing to me ever. I felt like I just didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to go about it, and afterwards, I I ran to her. I was like, can you please help me next time with this group? Because they couldn't hear me. They wouldn't answer my questions. They're scary high school kids, and I'm just in college. I don't know what to do. So she helped me with the next group. Naturally for me, small groups have never been my favorite thing. I haven't always enjoyed that fellowship, but I've begun to realize in my life that I need that close Christian fellowship. And if I don't have it, that I begin to decline in my walk with God. When I went to the seminary, God blessed me with some friends there, and I remember how they would want to get together and pray once a week, and then afterwards, They kept wanting to call by teleconference and pray together, and sometimes I felt like it, and other times I felt like, I don't really want to spend the time this morning doing this. But I can't tell you how that continues to encourage my heart to this day. I pray with those guys on a weekly basis, and I need that encouragement. I need to hear their prayers of faith. They're clinging to Jesus in in the midst of their struggles. I need to see the rawness of their faith in order to build up my own faith. I need a place to go to in order to receive encouragement. And you do too. You can't go it on your own. 
And I've heard from some of you, and it breaks my heart, some of you feeling like, well, I don't really have that close Christian fellowship that I long for. And we want to make sure as a church that we facilitate more of that. That we have more opportunities to come together as a church family. To ground ourselves in the promises of God. To pray for each other. To lift each other up. And I've heard from others of you, some of you, this is taking place in your Sabbath school classes or otherwise, or you've had a prayer partner, and the last year, the last two years, have totally revolutionized your life. Have filled you with new hope and new courage. Have revived your experience because of those spiritual friendships. There is so much value in that. And no matter where you're at, I guarantee that you need it. In my own life, I need it. I'm so thankful for those of you here in this church who pray for Leah and I. This past week, I have to be honest, has been one of those weeks where I praise God for all that He's doing, all the the doors He's opening, the ways He's working in prayer meeting, the ways He's working in so many different people's lives. And then there are those things. Those things that by the end of the week, you don't feel like going on anymore. There are those things when you wake up on Sabbath morning and you don't really want to come to church and preach a sermon. But then you have friends, friends in this church, who text you and ask you how you're doing. Let you know that they're praying for you. You have people who are there to encourage you. I need it as much as you do. We all need to be encouraging each other, to be lifting each other up. One of you took this whole past week, this last week, and prayed with me from 6 to 7 a.m. in this room right over here. And I can't tell you what a difference that made in my heart this past week. I needed that. It encouraged my heart. And you need it too. God wants to do amazing things in your life. He wants to grow you, to expand your experience with Him. And it's just so amazing to me. At prayer meeting, we were talking about pruning this past week uh, on Wednesday night, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about it on next Wednesday night. And then I'm preparing the sermon for this Sabbath and not knowing all the details of what God wants. But by this morning, I knew why He'd given me this sermon. It wasn't necessarily for you. I needed it. I needed to be strengthened in my faith. I needed to remember who is on the throne. And that is Jesus. And when I can't necessarily see the way forward, when I don't have all the answers for all the problems that I'm facing, I remember that the King of Kings is my Savior who died on a cross so that I could have eternal life. And Romans 8.32 says that He who did not withhold His only begotten Son, how would He not with Him freely give you all things? God wants to fulfill all of our needs, to bless our lives, and He will do it. But friends, We've got to encourage each other. We've got to press together as a church family. Paul is very clear. Don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves. And all the more as the day approaches, we see the world going crazy around us. We see all that's happening. The world is growing dark. We need that Christian fellowship to lift each other up. So starting next week, we're going to have the first sermon focusing on devotional life. We're going to look at different characters in the Bible and their devotional life 
And we're going to discover how you and I can have a closer walk with Jesus. And each week, you can go ahead and put up the slide there after the sermon. I encourage you, if you're, if you're for some reason not able to be here at church, just go and listen to the sermon on the website. And then go to one of these groups during the week. We're going to have a variety of groups throughout the week. You may feel like, hey, I can't go out in the evenings. That's okay. We're going to have some in the afternoon. And we may even have some in the morning. We're going to have one in the morning that's not actually on this list. Or it's on this list. Monday's 10 a.m. There's going to be all different types of days and opportunities during the week for you to get together and to fellowship together. And there's various ones of you who've been willing to step up and say, I'll be a leader and I will host a group. Some of you in your house, some of you here at church, and you'll have study guides that'll be given to you each week just to kind of base your discussion and your prayer together. But I believe that as we come together, as we fellowship together, that God wants to take us to a whole new level. As we strengthen each other's hands in the Lord, we're going to have a closer walk with Jesus. So, I don't know what your schedule looks like, but I want to encourage you, if there is any possibility to make it a priority to be a part of one of these groups, not even just for your own good, but for the good of the rest of your church family who needs the encouragement, that the experience that you have to offer to them. We've got to join together. We've got to press close together. I want to invite you just to bow your heads with me in prayer as we close. There's going to be the opportunity when you leave in the, the foyer to sign up for different ones of these groups if you'd like to. But let's just ask God now that He would reveal to us our need to be encouraged, to be strengthened in the Lord. Father in heaven, we're here weak, sinful human beings in need of greater faith, in need of a closer walk, in need of pressing together. Lord, you've told us that this will be the case even more as the day approaches. More and more we need to press together. We need to gather together. Lord, help us to be determined to be here at church to gather together, to be at prayer meeting to gather together, and to gather together in smaller groups where we can look out for one another and really genuinely care for and encourage each other. Father, just pray that as we go on this journey, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us and that we would be drawn closer to you. Lord, give us a willingness to step out of our comfort zone if that's what it takes, to clear a, an hour out of our schedule, whatever it takes, so that we can be a part of this journey together as a church family. Thank you, Father, for blessing my friends, for blessing us as we seek to draw close to you, because you promised that you will draw close to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.